verses 9 to 12. <clears throat> in the Revelation of St. John, he looks and he says, the title is, A Great Multitude from Every Nation. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to, I didn't ask Parker about doing this. Um, I want to go off-road just for a minute. It's not in the bulletin, and I hope you'll allow a former pastor to jump in here. But I, Parker, I just feel very led for us to uh, pray for you and Christy and your family. Yeah. Yeah. Those of you sitting around Parker, I know Christy's gone now. Just reach out and touch him. The rest of us just kind of reach our hands toward them. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Ah, new chapter for Parker and Christy and Thomas and Lizzie. For Emma, for Abby. Lord, we know that you can intervene mightily, can help them. They got lots of questions, Lord. They got lots of questions. How all this is going to work, resources, time, effort, Lizzie and Thomas making adjustments. Lord, you're with them. You are with them. I know that. And this congregation is with them. We know that. Father, we trust you to work in their situation for the love they're showing, that you will repay, repay their gift many times over in different ways. You'll bless them, Lord, just all through their house, all through their family, in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Your situation really touches me. It really does. So, what? Praise God. The Spirit of the Lord is here. I can sense that deeply. Our vocalists, our musicians, um, just the various aspects of the worship service. And I believe the hearts of God's people are together today. And I believe you've come expecting the Lord today and throughout this weekend. It's uh, just tremendous to be in, in fellowship and worship with you today and in fellowship this weekend. Thank you again for receiving us. You've heard the reading of the word in, in Revelation chapter 7, and I want to mention, not that I would expect you to remember it, but I, what, I, what I preached on last year, I wanted to preach a great sermon. Every preacher wants to preach a great sermon. And I preached about the great commandment and the great commission and really focused on the great challenge. 
a great challenge to be involved in missions. And if I had to classify today, this is kind of a part B, which we didn't get to last year, but one that's been on my mind a lot. It's the great purpose, and it's stated in your bulletin, the great purpose, the great reason for all of this work, the great purpose. We've been looking at it here in, in Revelation 7. I got a thinking, just very quickly, just a sentence, a long sentence. Our great God saw a great need, provided a great rescue to bring us into fellowship, gave us a great commandment and a great commission, a great challenge to fulfill that great commission. Why? There's a great purpose involved, a great purpose. There's even a mission movement by the name Rev, Rev 7, Rev, Revelation, Rev 7. There's a mission movement by that name. And the great purpose is that every tribe and tongue and people and nation, every way you can count somebody, ethnically, culturally, linguistically, how are you going to group them? John said, I looked and they were all around the throne. How big was that group, by the way? So big, nobody could count it. <laughs> and that's our motivation and mission is, I'm going to call it population of heaven. Populating heaven is what we're about. Um, Freddie, you haven't given us stuff that we probably haven't already known. I know that. But you know what? I tend to forget this. I'm confessing. I tend to forget this. I tend to lose sight of it. But populating heaven, somebody quickly says, yes, but what about living here in this world, the abundant life, and Christ said, what Christ has for us? And Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And we see all this and all the decisions we have to make and everything going on in the world. Isn't that important? That is important. Let me give you this one. Okay, and I, this is from a non-Presbyterian. You ready? What is the chief end of man? Um, glorify God and enjoy him forever. I'm just going to throw it out there that I, not being a Presbyterian doctrinal scholar, but I don't think enjoying him forever means just on this earth. Because this is not all there is. This is not, I remember the great uh, preacher in Los Angeles, South Central Los Angeles, Dr. E.V. Hill. He would say, look, you know what you need to do? You need to take a big piece of chalk and just write temporary, temporary, temporary over everything you got. Because <laughs> this is temporary. And C.S. Lewis said, if you find yourself dissatisfied in this world, you just, you just can't get comfortable. You feel like there's got to be more. He says, that is a sure sign to you. You were made for somewhere else. Glorify God and enjoy him forever, and that happens in heaven. And speaking of heaven, the older I get, the closer I get. I'll speak for myself, too. And I've, I've, I've been preaching the last several months. I preached a couple times at a small country church. and needed someone to fill in. And you know what I found myself doing? I found myself preaching on heaven. I found myself preaching on heaven. We've detailed for you this weekend and the times we had together, talking about Becca's mom passing away in September, going to heaven in September. My mom going to heaven less than three weeks ago. And I find myself just thinking about heaven more and more. And Becca telling her mom in her last days, Mom, you can go to heaven. It's okay. It's that release. You can go. You can go. Um, I talked a lot with my mom about heaven in the last days and tried to prepare her. I'd say, Mom, you're going to be in heaven soon. Well, yeah. One day she said, how do you know that? I said, well... <laughs> That's a good question. It's a great question. I said, well, Mom, this, vac this vehicle, this vessel is wearing out. You're moving towards heaven. She'd been in hospice care since last June. She'd been in Alzheimer's care for two or three years. Uh, Mom, you're going to be in heaven soon. 
In our last days, she loved to sing together in her assisted living memory care. She loved to sing the song, When They Ring Those Golden Bells. I took it back from a Sunday night service we had once. And she loved to lay in bed and just lead me in singing it. In her beautiful South Alabama brogue, she was from Luverne, born and raised in Luverne. She, she called it, When They Ring Them Golden Bells. <laughs> Them angels. I said, just sing it, Mom. One day near the end of her life, I was, I was visiting her and helping her, um, taking care of her and um, cleaning her up. We were coming out of the bathroom. You went, once again, I said, Mom, you're going to be in heaven soon. Mom, you're going to be there. And that just started naming names that came to my mind. Your best friend, you're going to be there in heaven soon with your best friend Nellie and with Dad and with your mom and dad and with your brothers. And she mumbled out and she said, there's going to be a whole slew of us. I said, yes, ma'am, there's going to be a whole slew of us. And John had a vision of that, didn't he? A whole slew of us around the throne. A whole slew of us. And by the way, just a footnote, I'll, I'll mention it twice in the sermon today, references back to the Sunday school time we talked about Father Andrew, Reverend Andrew Piasso, Mama Andrew, the Czechoholo Solomon's translator. Somewhere in the last six months of her life, I didn't know she had any recollection or memory of, member of, memory of Andrew, and she called him Brother Andrew consistently. Somewhere in the last six months of her life in her Alzheimer's, one day in, in, in her memory care, she surprised me. How is Andrew doing? You finished that Bible yet? Wow. The things that are tucked away in the heart. It's great purpose, populating heaven. That's why we're together. We're not here just to celebrate the work of missionaries, which there's a lot to celebrate. But it's not for this life, is it? We're looking ahead. We want to be around that throne and take as many people with us as possible. And it's a great purpose, and it's fueled, this great motivation, fueled by a great commitment. A great commitment. And I will confess to you, I found that when I first came to Bruton. Liotz, um, who insisted I call him Lee, Harriet, for some reason, he insisted I called him Lee, and Lee would say to me, uh, let me tell you what we're doing in Brazil. Anybody ever heard of the Edward Lane Bible Institute? <laughs> he talked and talked and talked. And I could tell he was just bubbling over. There was something deep within him that just said, this is where we are committed to. We've latched on to this. In my first, my first introduction to this congregation, it was, a, it was a great motivation fueled by a great commitment. This church is not just giving lip service. You didn't have to be around Leods very long before you caught the, the fervor of this commitment. You see this in Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He said, I'm doing everything I can to be all things to all men. How, why? So that I might win some. I'm doing everything I can so that I might save some. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, as he detailed his experiences in Asia, I love the way the Phillips translation put it. He started describing all the things they were going through. And at one point, he says, we told ourselves this is the end. And Paul said, but I'm going forward. Why? Because of his commitment. And he will put up with it. He will put up with it. Uh, a well-known philosopher made this statement, which I've been meditating on for several months. You ready? He who has a why will endure almost any how. He who has a why will endure almost any how. That is, if you have a reason, you'll put up with almost anything to accomplish that reason. He who has a why will endure almost anyhow. I have, I have several missionary colleagues who write their memoirs, and I read, read some of the stuff that not, 
I think of what David Bender Samuel went through, I think of Paul and Edna Hedlund and what they went I just started thinking of my Wycliffe colleagues, these missionary memoirs, and go, wow, they put up with a lot of how. Because they had a big why. You, know, you listen to our friends and the things they've been sharing this weekend. And missionary biographies are filled with this. One that's modern that has uh, really come into mind just in the last few weeks. I don't know if you've caught up with the news or not. It's a Christianity Today a news story about Pastor Wong in China who said, no, we're not going to conduct um, a secret service, church service. We're not going underground. We're going above ground. We're going open because we believe we have this right in China, and we are conducting our services openly. And he said, I know members of the Communist Party are here. And they carted him off to re-education camp. But he said, you know what? It's okay. <laughs> what he's really saying is, I've got a huge why, and I'm going to put up with anything to get there. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he said. The one that's really getting to me, and the ladies that got put on my prayer list, uh, another Pastor Wong, and two homeschool ladies. Yes, they're in prison for homeschooling their children in China because they believe that the curriculum and the Chinese schools are not what they wanted. I've been to China a couple times. Beck and I one time in China together, and we were walking on a, a street nearby, and it was a time of, of very regimented marches, and I don't even know how to describe it but it was right along the Communist Party lines of indoctrination of children. You stand there and you watch it and you go, they're all uniform in this. And I think back to that and I look at these homeschool ladies and I think, they have a great commitment to what they're doing. They say, we don't want to come under that system because we're part of a different kingdom. And it's not of this world. And they have a big old why and they're ready to put up with almost any how. Hats off to them. We think of persecuted pastors from... Communist China, North Korea, and you think of and ones that Parker mentioned in his message this morning, and which we continue to hear about in a number of countries. It's a great commitment. So it's a great commission, uh, sorry, a great, a great reason. It's fueled by this great commitment, and it's carried out and fulfilled by, wait for it, ordinary people. Not great people, ordinary people, not superstars but folks with a whole list of human conditions. I used to tell people when I was a pastor, I said, look, you put me on a pedestal, you'll be around long enough to watch me fall off. And it won't be pretty. And there's this really interesting idea that people thought, if I'm really, really getting close to God, then I'm going to be a missionary one day. My dad was in Vietnam and got a letter from my mother in 1970. My mother told him that she had come to faith in Christ. She had met the Holy Spirit. Her life had changed. My dad wrote her back from Saigon. The words were, does this mean you're going to become a missionary? <laughs> it was this common idea. If you got turned on to Jesus, you're going to be a missionary. Yeah. Ordinary people carrying out this, being fueled by this great commitment. Um, I didn't tell my wife I was going to mention her. I have a pastor friend, Parker, who if he cites his family in a sermon illustration, he has to pay them $5. But I've never, I've never actually had to do that. But um, as we prepared to go to the Solomons back in the late 80s, I remember someone asked Becca, I said, Becca, do you, you going to Solomon Island? That was a long way over there. Do you love Solomon Islanders? You go, you must love them. And Becca very calmly said, I actually don't know any Solomon Islanders yet. So I, actually, I guess I don't love them because I don't know them. But I love Jesus, and he loves them, 
Oh, yeah. I guess I do love them through him, but that's my commitment. That's an ordinary person with a powerful response saying we're in this together and being very reasoned about it because we know we ourselves are ordinary people. When Robert Morrison, Presbyterian missionary, uh, left England to go to China to translate the scriptures, the famous thing about Morrison, the things he endured, he got to China and they said, oh, Mr. Morrison, I I guess you think you're going to have some great impact on the Chinese nation. Oh, Robert Morrison, he's come here to translate the Bible and change the world over here. And Morrison calmly said, "Uh, no, sir, I don't expect I'm going to have a great impact, but I expect God will. Ordinary people carrying out that, that calling. You've been kind with us this weekend as we process the, continue to verbalize and process the death of our parents. And I, some of you picked up the book, that, the novel that I wrote called Love One and Hate the Other. There's a little part in the front of that book that is not explained, and it simply says, For Lucy. That's Becca's mom. He loved a good story, and I hated to disappoint her, but um, it says, for Lucy. Lucy was the one who prayed us out. She and her, her, dad, her husband, Becca's dad, took her to Bolivia when she was, what, 10, to, on a, um, veterinary, a, United Meth- a Methodist veterinary mission to Bolivia for six weeks. And that's when the Lord spoke to Becca, called her to be involved. And Lucy was so behind us and encouraging us through our work and she loved the song, Out of the Ivory Palaces, Into a World of Woe. And that, there's a part of that song I cry every time I read it because Lucy loved that hymn and she loved those words. Give of your wealth to speed them on their way. Pray for them. What is it? Pray for the sons victorious. Give of your wealth to speed them. Oh, Zion Hayes. Thank you. Oh, Zion Hayes. And, and she, just, she just oozed that ordinary person commitment that said, I love Jesus, and this is what I'm doing. And one thing I'm going to, here's, I'm going Paul Harvey on you now. The rest of the story, those of you who are in Sunday school this morning about Father Andrew, one thing I didn't say, but I'm going to highlight right here, and speaking of ordinary people and this great commitment, I did mention he's, he'll be 89 years old this year. He's waiting for the Bible in his hands. Yes, by the way, he's not, this is very important. He's not sitting in his village waiting for the Bible in his hands. He was trained to do the work of a consultant, which helps teams to move their translation towards publication through quality control, uh, working on accuracy, clarity, and naturalness. He himself was trained in that in the mid-90s and approved for other work. Andrew Piasso at age 88 is working with a nearby language group called GAL to be their consultant. Team had originally said, could I take this job? I was not in a position to take that. I said, no, but what about Andrew? Guess what he's doing? That's how he's filling his days. That's how he's filling his days. Talk about a great commitment. A couple of weeks ago, we were in a church in Tuscumbia, just attending a missions conference, ran into a couple of people. They said, oh, you've been in, uh, been in Afghanistan. I said, yes. Did you ever meet Dennis Coyle? I said, well, I know Dennis. In fact, I just I had dinner with Dennis the last time I was in Kabul. Yeah, well, when the Taliban took over the place, Dennis decided to stay. And you know what? That doesn't surprise me at all. Because here's a man with a simple commitment for Jesus, an ordinary person who says, I am committed to what the Lord has called me to, and I'm going to be here till he tells me to leave. When I heard that a couple of weeks ago, I said, well, okay, not surprising at all. This week I got a letter from a friend of mine named Leon. 
And we laughed for years. Leon was a, is a media guy. I was talking to, I was talking to Leslie after the Sunday school this morning. Leslie, this guy's a media guy. He was a, a lot of marketing. Leon would tell you it's all about marketing. He was a director of, national director for Disney Radio. He's based in Dallas. Wonderful guy. Lots of gifts. But Leon would always, I said, Leon, you're going to join Wycliffe. He said, I'll join Wycliffe. They got to shut down the place. He said, I am not equipped to work in missions. I said, Leon, okay. I got a letter this week. Leon said, um, later this year, I'm going to retire, and I feel the Holy Spirit nudging me to join Wycliffe. <laughs> Can you think of some things I might be able to do with my background? Hmm. And Parker's mentioned this a time or two, not just coming and celebrating and giving, but also being ourselves challenged. I heard a pastor say this two weeks ago, close to us. He says, one of the invitations we give at our missions conferences for people in the church to be involved. And he turned and looked at Miss So-and-so, and there she was. She, she had done this as well just a few years ago. It answered a call there. And it, going back to Paul, you know what he said about himself? I'm the scum of the earth, refuse of the world, least of the, least of the apostles, chief of sinners. He had that on a business card. Would you invite him to preach in this church? Probably not. <laughs> But that's how he saw himself, an ordinary person, not a great person, fulfilling a great commitment. Here's how I see it. Ordinary people sending out, supporting, encouraging, praying for other ordinary people who are committed to do their jobs, to carry out the will and work of our great God, to fulfill his great purpose and plan. Ordinary people working with other ordinary people to fulfill the great purpose. And what is that work? I mentioned the purpose of populating heaven. Populating heaven and our job is to help get as many people around the throne as possible. A whole slew of us. As big as possible. Father, we bow before you and thank you. Thank you for your care for us. We commit our hearts to you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this team from the church heading down in June to work with the Beals and Kayla and the others. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing there. It be to your glory, Lord. And just like I mentioned my friend Leon, Lord, you're stirring maybe somebody to make a change. I don't know. I don't know. But I know, Lord, you're taking ordinary people and their gifts. You're giving them new commitment. And whatever our role in all this is, Lord, our focus is on you for the great purpose. Populating heaven, being around the throne, and worshiping you. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' strong name, we, we thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. And singing. Uh, facing a task unfinished, uh, you'll find it on the back of your um, insert. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>